0: Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host Brent Weber. On today's episode you'll be listening to PSY 243 Human Growth and Development with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 2, Psychology 243. In this unit we're going to look at cognitive development in the infancy and early childhood and also social emotional development. And this series of looking at cognition and social, emotional development will be what we use pretty much through the rest of the course. We'll divide it up in different age stages. During Chapter 4, we're going to look at the emergence of thought and language and the cognitive development of a child. One of the big names in human development, really probably the biggest name is Jean Piaget. And so his view is, it's important to understand what he thought and Piaget thought that children construct an understanding of the world. Remember the previous uh, experience, uh, you know, I talked about Legos and we had that. I use it in reference to uh, neurons. And we can kind of use that analogy again as we get here and understand that children will construct different understandings of the world. Just as different children, if you give them the same set of Legos, They'll make different projects, and according to Piaget, that's what children do. They construct an understanding of the world, uh, how objects work, and how we call schemes and things that are understanding of how different um, the uh, the world works. Basically, schemes change constantly. Um, Children are learning how. Different things are working. They're introduced to a dog for the first time. And so they're told that's a dog. And then they see a cat and then they, under- they may call it a dog because it's furry, has a tail, and has four legs. Eventually they'll learn to assimilate and take in information and bring it into their understanding of the world or accommodate where they have to make changes to their understanding. They'll have to understand that not all furry four-legged things with a tail are a dog. They're going to have to understand that there's cats. And then they're going to understand that there are different types of dogs. And so this can go on, not just with pets and animals, but really for our understanding of the world. So the first two years of life, according to Piaget, is called the sensor motor period. And what this is, is the time of life where the child are really like little scientists. They're looking through the world. They're seeing things or touching things. and You probably understand that children are kind of messy at this time. They're getting, they're hitting things. They're taking their food and throwing it across the, you know, on the floor or across the room and they're making a mess in bath time. They're not trying to make your life harder. What they're trying to do is understand what happens if I slap my hand in some water, you know, how does that affect if I hit it harder? Is it louder? Is it the water goes farther? All this stuff is part of understanding how the world works. From two to seven, this is a time when we call, Piaget called a pre-operational period. And so they're now starting to use symbols. And by that, I mean things like language or um, starting to see words. You children can recognize logos and McDonald's and different restaurants. They're, um, but it's very difficult for them to see the world from a viewpoint other than their own. So they're very egocentric during this period. And uh, your book will talk about ways that they have difficulty understanding how if you take a, uh, a glass of uh, juice in a, a short, wide glass and pour it into a tall, thin glass, that they'll imagine that there's more juice in there, and rather than understanding that it's really the the juice hasn't changed, it's just the shape of the glass. During this time, we also have what we refer to as information processing, and think of this in in terms of like computer uh, software and hardware, and, you know, as children are bombarded with stimuli, just like all of us, We're different sights and sounds and and things, they're learning to uh, take in that which is important and ignore which is not as important. And so they're able to uh, understand that um, certain things they need to pay attention to and certain things they shouldn't or don't need to. This is also a time when play becomes very important. And it's not just a recreational activity, but it really helps with their cognitive development. There's, infants are, are able to learn in different ways. In other classes, we talk about classical conditioning, uh, operant learning and imitation. And um, sometimes they've been, they've done experiments with children being taught something and then waiting a few days or a few weeks, and then reintroducing that, and the infant is able to recognize something that they previously learned. And this is important as the child is making those neural connections and really getting an understanding how the world works in the sense of their self. um, But information processing also is a part of our memory development. And during this times, Children, preschool children, are, are sometimes called to uh, testify in ch- cases of child abuse. And if a child is, is questioned repeatedly about this, they have some difficulty distinguishing what they experience and what others are suggesting. So uh, a child may uh, say that they were abused, but there's been experiments to show that that they were videotaped with um, or recorded with an adult and the child may have a different memory of what actually happened. So we have to be really careful with using children's for, children for testimony. Another important psychologist but not as well known is Bogotsky. And Bogotsky was a Russian psychologist and his uh, emphasis was really on the social-cultural development the child occurred. In Piaget's view, a lot of what the child learned occurred with the child in, the, in their environment, different objects. For Vygotsky, it had a lot to do with the interaction of language and society and, and uh, with the parents and caregivers and how that works. And one of the things that is talked about in Vygotsky's uh, work is the zone of proximal development. And what that is, is setting a goal for the child is just above what they can do on their own. But uh, with the assistance of a parent or an older uh, child or, or a coach or someone who can help them achieve that new goal, but it's going to take a little bit of Training. If you set the goal too high, the child will become frustrated. If you set it too low, they become bored. So learning how to set a goal that's just achievable with some effort is important in the role of the zone of proximal development. The, um, um, another term that's used in Vygotsky's work is scaffolding. And you've probably seen a scaffold in uh, construction of a building. It's that frame that's on the outside of a building. And as the building is finished, it's removed. And for scaffolding with children, what it is is a, a teacher, a parent, or an older sibling coming along with the child and giving them different instructions, but as a child is able to accomplish that task, stepping back and letting them do it rather than doing it for them. So it's, a, it's a similar to zone approximate development, but it's also learning how to to remove yourself to allow the children to have competency in that different task. Um, During this time, you'll notice that if children are playing even by themselves, they'll talk to themselves. They'll come up with different conversations and dialogues. And actually this is important. This is valuable for a child to learn to regulate their own behavior. And it's really a step of, understanding about how the world works and sometimes they're expressing it uh, publicly first and then later on they'll be able to, do, to speak themselves without having to speak it out loud. Language is, is such a huge important role in the cognitive development of a child. And so children can learn and understand different sounds soon after birth. Different languages have different phonemes and different expressions that are unique to their language, and the child is picking that up. And also, um, infant-directed speech. You may have, when you see an adult with a child, they they tend to raise their voice, and they tend to speak, you know, slowly and emphasize different words. And actually, that is valuable for the child. It's Sometimes we call it baby talk, but it's really a way of focusing in on the child, uh, giving emphasis to the things that the child really needs to hear, slowing it down so they can hear the distinctions between the sounds. And uh, so it's really valuable. Um, Of course, babies are able to communicate, but mostly they're doing this through crying and uh, expressing their needs, but then babbling where you sort of repeat the same syllable again and again, and over several months after babbling, they're able to say words, and then of course later on the words are put together uh, to give more direction in their speech. Um, So usually about the first birthday, children begin to, to speak where you can kind of understand what they're trying to express. Um, and this is after the children realize that words are symbols and they're ways to get their thoughts across. And after this occurs, then their vocabulary expands rather quickly. Um, at first, children learn a, a lot of words or hearing a lot of words, and they may not understand exactly the meaning of all the words and uh, the rules of grammar. So it's, it's common to have children uh, use improper grammar and uh, use the, the wrong word for that time, but that's because they're getting so much information in and their brain is developing so quickly that it's hard to keep track and eventually they will. Children can vary with their vocabulary size and um, and this has a lot to do with their phonological memory, how they can remember sounds. Um, children that are raised in bilingual households uh, usually learn language readily and are able to understand English, Spanish, or whatever languages are being taught. Um, the um, They give different emphasis to different words or different uh, uh, you know, names and they and they start to understand that certain words have more value than other. Um, certain children learn to be more expressive in their communication skills. And so it's, it's a variety of ways that uh, they have. So a child may be more expressive and have more of a limited vocabulary, or they may have a more extensive vocabulary but be less extant, uh, expressive. But they learn over time to, you know, uh to bring those both together after they learn to speak they start to put uh, together two word sentences like dog run or uh, throw ball or things like that and from two words you can go to three words and then they start to understand the grammar rules and there's um and you know that children are not really taught noun, subject, verb, agreement and things like that at first. They just pick that up and there's different theories about uh, how children do that and how they're able to understand the the different uh, ways that that occurs. That um, some theorists say we learn language through imitation. Some says we have an inborn mechanism, language acquisition device that we're all born with. And uh, children find reoccurring patterns. They see what is rewarded. What is, uh, they can tell if they said something correctly, a ch- uh, their parents or teacher will respond in a positive way. And so they learn to associate those positive reinforcements also with language. Chapter five, we're looking at the social emotional development of infancy. One of the, and also a very famous theorist, is, is Eric Erickson. And he came up with what you to as eight stages of psychosocial development. And um, during the ages of one and three, trust versus mistrust is a huge under, uh, goal for that child. They have to learn, is the world a place that I can trust? Can I trust my parents to feed me? Can I trust them to calm me? Uh, And then later on, the um, ideas of initiative versus guilt, autonomy versus shame. And your book goes into more information in that. But according to Erickson, these are different goals that we need to be able to achieve to successfully get through life. And if we don't, then we can be stalled in our development. Attachment refers to the way that... Uh, children have a social-emotional connection with uh, a parent or caregiver. And um, uh, the psychologist that is associated with this is Bowlby. And he had an idea that it was important for children to learn to connect with the caregiver. And they can have um, an idea of do they have a true attachment Uh, with someone? Do they have reciprocal relationships with things? And usually this is uh, done by what we call the strange situation. And your book goes into much more detail of this. And basically what it is, is um, usually it's the mother and the child go into a room that's um, fairly bland. It's not much activity there, no toys or anything like that. And the child and the mother are being recorded uh, through you know, two-way window, mirror. And so the child is able to have some time with the mom. The mom leaves suddenly. And the child is confused, of course, and there's some crying. Then after a couple minutes, the mother comes back. And how the child responds to the mother when the mother comes back is important. And they're able to see, does the child uh, readily return to their mom? Do they? seem to be distant. Are they hesitant? Are they kind of angry at their mom? These are the different styles of attachment that uh, the strange situation uh, measures. Um, Children that have what's referred to as secure attachment tend to be more skilled socially and less risk for externalizing disorders, meaning to expressing themselves in ways that um, others find negative. And this occurs with with a child is having a mother or caregiver giving, uh, being responsive to the child's needs at first. This is a connection with that trust we talked about with Erickson. Um, Responsive caregiving adults um, to infants usually helps the child feel that this world is safe and they expect their parents to meet their needs and then they'll carry this expectation to those outside their family and with others. During this time also we have our emerging emotions. We have basic emotions. They've been uh, researched in joy, anger, fear. These occur usually the first year. And fear usually comes when they see a stranger. Uh, During, as a child grows their, their, their emotions become more complex and they feel like guilt and embarrassment and sense of pride. If it helps, think of this as sort of like we have our three basic colors a red, blue, and green and then all our other colors are combination of those three colors. Same kind of goes for emotions. Uh, Those joy, anger, and fear are combined in different ways and then we become much more developed in our emotional development. And we also know that certain cultures value emotions, certain emotions over others. So, a child in Asia tends to be more shy than a child in the United States because that shyness is uh, valued more in that culture than um, being more outgoing in uh, Western culture. Around six months, children are able to begin to recognize emotions with different facial expressions. So they're understanding that a smile means happy. And, um, and so they're understanding when they're not quite understand what the words mean, of course, if they can see a face, they're able to make that connection. But that means if mom is smiling, then she's happy. If she's frowning, then she's sad. Um, as early on, of course, children just let their emotions flow. They, you know, you know exactly how they're feeling. As they get older, they learn how to regulate those. They're able to realize that they can't always cry and yell anytime time that they desire something. And you know, that's part of parenting is helping the child learn to regulate their emotions. Interacting with others is important, and um, and infants will respond to one another. But um, and usually about twelve to fifteen months, they. Uh, Engage in what's called parallel play. And parallel play is where you put a, a couple of children together to play, like on a play date or something like that, and they'll each play uh, maybe at the same time, but they're maybe do similar things, but they're not playing with each other. They're just happen to both be playing with a ball or a doll or something. As they get older, they start around two, they start to cooperate and play together, and where they have a game and an interaction. So this develops as um, they learn the value of interaction with others. Pro-social behaviors are things that are helping and sharing uh, others are understand by experience. Uh, Things like empathy and uh, altruism can be taught to children. Some children are maybe naturally more have an affinity toward it but they can be uh, taught this as they learn that this is what we do to help others. Um, this is often measured when children are seeing someone in distress and do they feel like they can help? And even toddlers and uh, young children, if they see that someone's dropped something, they'll often go pick it up and try to give it to the, to the adult. And, um, and it often brings a sense of satisfaction. They see that person enjoying getting that help, and then they start to feel that that's something that's valuable and they want to continue to do. Usually, uh, also during this time, they start getting gender roles and gender identity. Now, just a word, when we say the word gender, what we're referring to are the beliefs about what males and females do in a society. Um, occasionally, you hear these things called a gender reveal party. It's not technically a gender reveal party; it's a sex reveal party, and you're understanding that this child is a male or a female. Gender refers to the expectations in the role. What are what do males do? What do females do? And usually, about age four, children have an understanding about the different types of roles and identities that they see. Uh, their fathers, or mothers, or brothers, or sisters have. Um, During childhood, we find that females tend to be better on verbal skills. Boys tend to be better with spatial skills, things where distance and uh, organization and and things like that. Um, At first, math skills are really negligible between boys and girls, but as they get older, there's some gender expectations, that boys are supposed to be good at math and girls are not expected to be so good at math. And so that has a role about whether a child is a girl is good at math because society has told her it's not that important. Um, The um, boys tend to be more aggressive, girls tend to have more social control. Usually parents treat their sons uh, differently and their daughters differently from one another. So there's expectations like the father may take the boy outside and help out with the yard and the, the daughter is inside and helping the mother. And so just these activities, the girls are, or the boys are picking up that, you know, this is the expectation of me as a fee, female or a male that I'm supposed to do these different things. All right, well that ends this unit and I'll see you in unit three we we'll